Beyond Radley. Business, careers, and more. Virtual talks by experts from our community. Good afternoon and a very warm welcome to all members of the Radley community who've joined us today on Zoom and our school partners. My name is Caroline Monaghan and I'm responsible for our Beyond Radley Career Speaker Programme, a series of talks designed to give you a live insight into the world of work. Now, I'd like to introduce you to Max, whose career as a magician has enabled him to travel all over the world, performing for celebrities such as Sienna Miller, Bob Geldof and the Royal Family of Udipur. Max will tell you about how he became a magician and forged a successful career path that has introduced him to a wealth of extraordinary experiences. So without further ado, over to you, Max. Thank you. All right, well, um, thank you, Caroline, and, and thank you very much, everyone, for having me. Um, it is it's certainly n- being a magician is certainly not the career I expected uh, leaving Radley, but uh, it's it's where I've ended up. Now, I, obviously, being a magician, it seems silly not to do some sort of magic tricks and the like throughout the performance. I thought we'd start off with a, one straight off the bat, get make sure everyone's paying attention. So first things first, if everyone wants to just stick your hands straight out in front of you like this, with your thumbs pointing up, fingers extended. And what you do is you're going to turn your hands so your thumbs are pointing face down. And then you're going to take your left hand. It's going to go up, across, and down. And then you're going to link your fingers together. And I'm just watching. I'm just watching Mr. Greed hurt himself there. Um, so do try and keep it like this. And if you can, see if you can raise just your index fingers and tap them together. And now, hopefully, if you haven't been fooled by me, you should be able to do this and stick your thumbs straight up in the air. Anyway, a little bit of fun just to hopefully get get you guys moving about. Um, so yeah, so I was at Radley and finished in 2003. I think it was that I think Caroline confirmed that for me because I couldn't remember and um, I, I finished with uh, three A's and a B and I accepted an offer to go to Sydney University in Australia to study a combined degree of advanced mechanical engineering and commerce which was about as exciting as it sounds uh, before I got there I took a gap year went to China and studied martial arts for three months which I would highly recommend and uh, I then arrived in Australia and began uh, studying, uh, well, very hard. I went to another, I went to another all boys college. For, for some reason, I seem to enjoy that just, and um, continued on there. But it was about, I think it was in my second year, I began to realize I didn't really enjoy the course I was studying. So I switched degrees to philosophy, which was a little bit easier um, on the studying side of things. And then began, um, actually, well, and in fact, this leads me to my second trick is I was performing uh, I was studying away at everyone and I began, I think one night in particular, I was at home and I was watching YouTube videos and not being particularly productive. And I saw a magic trick that annoyed me so much. I thought I had to go and learn it. And and this this trick I'll show you now is this is the first trick uh, I ever learned. Uh, and it looks a little something like this. You see, I was walking down the road one day and I was playing a game. With, uh, I met someone who was playing a game with three cars. And he asked me if I wanted to play. I said, OK, how do I play? He said, it's very simple. Uh, you see, I've got this card, I've got this card, and I've got that card. And I said, all right, what do I have to do? He says, all you have to do is keep your eyes on that card at all times. But as he said that, he was very sly and he moved it to the bottom. So I said, easy, that card's on the bottom. He said, no, that's this card. I said, well, if this card's on the bottom, that card must be on top. You're using sleight of hand. He says, no, that's also this card. I said, well, you've got two this cards, so that card must be in the middle. And he says, no, that's also this card. I said, okay, so what happened to that card? He says, easy, that card's on the bottom. I said, but hang on, that used to be this card. He says, you're not paying attention, you see, because the top card is also that card. I said, okay, hang on a second. You had two, you had, what's going on here? I'm a bit confused. He says, don't worry, you see, it's very simple. That card's actually in the middle. I said, hang on, you're, this is, this doesn't make any sense. He says, I know it doesn't, but look, I'll make it a bit clearer. You see, I've got this card, I've got this card, and I've got this card. 
I said, okay, hang on a second. You've got to be cheating. He says, you know what? You're right. I am cheating. But you have to remember in life, there's a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but not much of the other. And so I, I had seen that trick performed on YouTube and I thought, hang on, that's only three playing cards. Surely I can learn how to do that. And I, I began learning. I found a video explaining how to do it, went and learned it and I spent as much time as I could perfecting it before I showed it to anyone. Because the one piece of advice I kept coming across when it came to magic is that you have to make sure it's as good as it can be before you present it. And so I did, and I showed it to people and I got quite a good reaction. Um, people laughed. I think I got a, a girl's phone number and I thought, I'm gonna keep doing this. And I did, I, so I went back back to my, my room, obviously not the same night, a separate night, and I, I found an online course. It, I think it was $50 and it had a series of videos teaching me how to do one trick after another and covering the basics of sleight of hand and patter. And um, patter is the term magicians use for the, the nonsense we speak to distract you, by the way. And so, and so on it went. And after a while, I thought, okay, I've now learned enough. And I, th I started showing it to friends and family because, um, and, and it went well. People, people seemed to receive it quite well. Uh, and then I reached the, the worst challenge I think I'd received in the course, which was I had to go and perform to complete strangers, which was terrifying. Because before then I'd always done it as sort of at the bar at the, at the university or sort of friends at a party. Um, but I had to go out into the street and walk up to people and say, uh, would you like to see a magic trick? And I got told, I think it was about an hour, if not two hours of being told, no, I'm not interested, leave me alone, go away. Who are you? You look funny, you little weirdo. Uh, and so on it went. But the very last people I performed to, I said, and I said to myself that these are the last two I'll perform to, and then I'll go home and I've done my, my stint and I've tried to do it. Uh, and it was two, two ladies who were on their cigarette break um, out of the office and I performed to them and they loved it. And they were so impressed and, and they were, apparently anyway, they, they tipped me a hundred dollars then and there. And I thought, okay, there's really something to this. Like I, I'm clearly on to something. Uh, so I kept studying and, and I kept performing. I sort of started investing in new tricks because there was a magic shop in, in, in Sydney that I would go and perform or would go and chat to. And they'd say, oh, here's one that you should learn and do this. And one day I was at a house party where I performed uh, just just for a group of people. And one guy in particular there said was so impressed again, because apparently that's the word of the day, came over, visited me and said, um, do you want to work in my restaurant? And I said no at first because I already had a job as a bartender and I didn't realize that he wanted me to perform as a magician in his restaurant. And as soon as he made that clear, I called my boss at the bar and said I quit um and went to perform at his restaurant and it was it was next to nothing i think i was i was earning 50 dollars a night or something um but this became this became my new job and i loved it i i couldn't get enough of it uh you know it was a great group of people it's wonderful to be on that side of having worked in, in sort of hospitality to work with the hospitality people but without having to do the hospitality work oh it, it's just I had a great time uh, at least for a while. Um, I think it was about a month into working there when I received my first ever death threat. Um, I have received a couple of them over my life, which is a very strange thing to say. And it's all they're all related to magic. And this one was because it turned out there was another magician who'd been working at this restaurant before me. And I'd undercut him in price and taken his job, which is a, obviously a big no, no. But I, I had no idea. So I was, of course, completely innocent. Um, and once I found that out, I decided to ask them, well, you should probably be paying me more, at which point they fired me. 
but it was a uh, it was a lesson learned um, that maybe I should be charging a bit more because of course if I charge too little then I cut out the, I, you know hurt your competition but also hurt magicians in general and so it was actually damaging to the community of magicians which is I think was part of the reason that he maybe didn't come across very tactfully but that was sort of part of what he was trying to get across. Um, so from there, uh, I continued, I'd, luckily I managed to build up a sort of almost a client base of people who wanted me to perform at, at their private events. So I was being hired for birthday parties and not, not corporate functions yet, but sort of any, any event that happened that people were doing birthday parties, like I say, were the big ones. And it was at one of these where I met somebody who, um, they, I was performing to them and they was, he was so impressed. He was actually a choreographer who worked all across Sydney in all kinds of events. And he, he said that they have a particular show, or he had some friends who ran um, a cabaret show and that he'd put me in touch. So a week later I went and had an interview and, and it was this old hotel that was no longer being used with this incredible foyer, marble everywhere, beautiful piano. And I mean, like talk about like gobsmacking as a as sort of an intro. Get there, we have an interview in this sort of dark smoky room with a big stage and a bar and, um, and apparently, uh, you know, I did something right because they, they said, all right, come back on Saturday, Friday and we'll have we'll put you in the show and we'll have you do some magic at the tables. And that was brilliant when um, it went really well. And so they it became a permanent fixture and I joined the, the cabaret and I worked with these people for about five or six years. Um, that's how I met my agent, my manager, because they were also in the show. And there's so the show was made up of myself. There was uh, my my manager, who was also a magician. Uh, he performed all over the world. He'd done his. He'd put on Las Vegas shows in Las Vegas, um, which had become very successful. But he'd now moved to Australia with his family and was starting his own thing in the form of this cabaret show. I think there were four or five uh, dancing girls and two dancing boys and a contortionist, um, as well as obviously a host of bar staff. And uh, we we all became very very close and regularly performed together. Um, and this went on like so. I was with them for seven years, but we were at this venue for about two years i think it was um and there'd, there'd always been we weren't the only people who used the hotel there was also this sort of russian events uh, company i think they were russian i never actually met them we just heard the parties they were having uh, during our performances and uh, after two years we discovered that we needed to get out of that venue as quick as possible because it turned out it wasn't so much a russian events company as it was an underground russian brothel um that was being run illegally uh in the same venue as us so the next day, once we discovered this, we we turned up with a truck. We threw everything we could. We ripped everything out of the ground that we could take with us, um, piled it into the back of the truck and and just scarpered. So I, th I think my boss actually at the time got photographed and was plastered across the papers saying, Jay, I think his name was James Carp. It was sort of James Carp at it again or something similar. I, I, I didn't make the papers that time. Luckily, I managed to dodge the paparazzi. Not that I really saw any, but and uh so that was that was the end of that venue we then set up a new venue which was a much more temporary one and that was where i took part and mtv got in touch and we took we did a, a tv pilot together which was following me around and it was something called the in crowd and it was all about joining a new community and they filmed me doing my very first ever stage performance because up until then i'd always been what's called a close-up magician um so if you've ever if you've ever seen a magician there, there are a couple different types You've got uh, the close-up magician, which is what I do. So it's sort of like the magic I've been performing for you guys. It's close-up, it's, it's sleight of hand. It's, you know, it's very much the, the go-to there. Then you've got parlor, which is sort of close-up, but you've you usually got a, like a single spot you perform to because a close-up magician will move from table to table at a venue or a restaurant. A parlor magician, the people would come in and, and then leave afterwards, or they'd have a setup that you could join and leave as you want. 
And a stage magician is, of course, the far more sort of everyone sit down, be quiet and listen to me perform for an hour. Not too dissimilar to this, but obviously a slightly different format. And I'd always been a close up magician because to me, sleight of hand and that kind of magic has always been what to me has always seemed like true magic. Uh, it's particularly because stage magicians tend to be um, a bit more reliant on sort of gags or sort of oversized props. And I've always felt that then you're, you're giving your magic to the props rather than necessarily the person who's actually doing the magic. But that's just my opinion. So we had this new temporary venue. We had this wonderful experience with MTV uh, where, you know, it all went, it all went horribly wrong uh, because I was supposed to do about three, three or four effects on during the stage performance. The first one was going to be this effect that I'd ended up doing years later, which is called spiked, uh, where you have four polystyrene cups and there's a spike underneath one of them. And you take the spectator's hand and you slam it down on the other three that you don't know where they are because they're all mixed up. Uh, unfortunately, the magician who helped was building it for me was actually the same one who offered the death threats about uh, a year or two earlier. And because apparently we were able to resolve that, that disagreement. I wonder if that's why he wasn't able to build it in, on time once he knew what was going on, but I don't know. So then we ended up only, I was only able to do two effects, one of which is the, the levitating wine glass where you pour wine into a glass, you let go of the glass and it stays there and then you take it and, and you have a sip and a cheers. And another magic trick called um, cardiographic, which David Copperfield uh, made famous a couple of years ago, I think it was. Uh, probably quite a few long time ago now, but beautiful effects. It went, went quite well, but obviously a much shorter performance than was expected. Uh, we were in this venue for probably another year before we found a new venue where we set up and we had to build everything from the ground up because uh, we, we basically have found a room in another venue which they would let, let us rent and we we set up and began performing uh, the new dinner cabaret show and we actually hired two other magicians and around this time was when I started being lucky enough to perform uh, re get residencies so for example I started having a residency at the uh, the Star City Casino in Sydney and I was there um, Fridays, uh, by actually this had actually started a little bit earlier, but I was there fri on Fridays and Saturdays nights, and on I had so we sort of had to juggle who was performing which nights while doing residencies and all of this. And because the reason I realised that I've sort of slightly got the order wrong here is once I had this residency, I was made was doing was so successful and making so much money um, that I realised that I didn't want to be at university anymore at all. I uh, couldn't bear it, in fact. And I sort of thought, what? I think I was in the middle of writing a psychology essay and I realized, why on earth am I doing this to myself when I could instead be just performing magic and focusing on that full time? Which was a good idea and I'm really glad I did it. I probably could have seen my degree through if I'd really tried. Um, and there's a reason why when people ask me, how long have you been a magician? I say, well, I've been disappointing my parents for about 10 years. It's true. So. Um, on, on things went with the cabaret show, as I say, and I made, made one of my best friends is a magician called Jackson Aces. He's an incredibly successful magician out in Australia. I think he's got 4 million t uh, followers on TikTok. He's a brilliant, brilliant guy and um, definitely no jealousy at all. None. No, wouldn't dream of it. Um, but I, that was also when I got to meet uh, Brian Lara, who's probably one of the more impressive celebrities I got to meet, if any of you cricketers and know that name. Uh, a very, very tough man to perform to was not, would barely, wouldn't give me any, any room for error, um, but kept me on my toes. Definitely a very nice man, just a very tough audience member. Uh, so from there, let's see, so I'm going to check my notes. Very, very professional. Yeah, so then from there, that, that carried on until about 2015. And while 
And that was around the time when my girlfriend at the time was working for the Star City Casino. And through her, I accidentally discovered that my agent, my manager had been taking an additional 10% off my fee that I wasn't aware existed. And so they, they, you know, they'd been telling me that this was the fee, they were taking 20% and I'd get the rest. And it turns out the fee was higher than that. And they hadn't told me that difference uh, before they took the 20% off. So that sort of meant that the friendship, the relationship ended rather abruptly uh, as I sort of decided, you know what, now's a good time for me to head back to uh, the UK. And so I came back to the UK, um, excited to continue my very, very successful career as a magician, only to discover the rather harsh reality that you cannot take your reputation with you. Uh, I arrived thinking I'd get plenty of bookings. And of course, you know, the, the phone never rang because no one knew who I was. So I sort of drifted in like that phase for a while, getting the odd gig here and there, but certainly not enough to live off. So back to living with mum, it was. And that continued for a little while before eventually I had to get another job. So I got a city job working in Aberdeen Asset Management. It's a firm that they're now called Standard Life Investments or uh, Aberdeen Standard Life. I'm not sure. They had a merger um, two years after I joined. So I stayed there for two years. And it was about then that I realized that, no, this, I've, you know, I've stuck it out and I've done it long enough that I can tell quite comfortably to anyone who asks, I've tried working in the city. It's not for me. It's not going to happen. I will live in a cardboard box if I have to, rather than work a nine to five like that, just because it was so soul sucking to me. I'm sure it, like, it works for everyone else. My fiance works in the city and, and does a great job from what I hear. Um, but for me, it's just, it, I can't, I can't do it. I, I prefer to do, to, to be a self-starter. I like setting my own hours. You know, if I have an off day and I don't work, I don't work. Um, but then there are days when I'll more than make up for it. So it's, that, that's, that's just how I ended up. And that was, that was sort of where I ended up. And then after that two years, I was like, back, back to being a full-time magician again. I would take it properly. And it all kind of got kick-started off as well because I took a job. So by the time I joined the Magic Circle, uh, the Magic Circle, if you don't know, is one of the most prestigious magic clubs in the world. It's not easy to get into. You have to be proposed and seconded to become a member. Then there's an interview process. And if they think you meet the, re the requirements, then there's a test where you have to perform to other members and then they rate, rate you and they decide whether or not you get to become a member. And they decide, they let me in, which was an incredible uh, gift. I'm very, very honest to be a member and you get some wonderful perks by being a member. And it's a really great community. It's where I've met my current mentor and a lot of really great friends that I come, I'm lucky to have. Uh, so that that was that then. Now, the reason I bring that up now is because the, what happened uh, around that time I left Aberdeen, I'd just gotten a job where I was booked to perform uh, for Sony and they had me do magic um, for a very high powered slow motion camera. And of course, what that was used for was to record me, to catch me doing the tricks so that they could uh, show how powerful their slow motion camera was. And originally I'd agreed to do it on the premise that I would do four effects and I would do three and they would catch me on the fourth, as it were, to say, you know, magician, because as they are saying in magicians, the hand is faster than the eye, but our Sony camera is even faster. Uh, on the day I kind of got bullied and I was pretty keen just to go ahead with it. And I thought I'd lose the job if I didn't agree. And they caught me on all four and I sort of allowed it. Uh, eventually the video was released and this was not well re received by the magician community. Uh, which is completely understandable and I you know I sort of hid it under the rug and rather, rather bashfully sort of hoped it would just go away without becoming an issue and that was when I started receiving my second round of death threats 
um, the Magic Circle were wonderfully supportive, and they said, and they, they, you know, I, I got summoned to the Council of Magicians, where I had to plead my case and explain what I'd done and why they shouldn't kick me out of the club, and I shouldn't be banned and all this sort of stuff. Uh, I laid my case on the ground and and laid myself at their mercy, and they ended up suspending me for a year, and I, I received a bit of a black mark against my name, but that was a few years ago, so I have been somewhat forgiven somewhat forgiven some magicians still sort of um hold a grudge against it but others have kind of shrugged their shoulders and carried on with their lives realizing it's not the end of the world so that's what that happened there and uh so around this time obviously i was, I was performing as myself just uh, getting with gigs wherever i could focusing on improving my social media improving my websites and, and doing all of these things that come with being a magician because uh, you you are you're very much your own marketer your pr agent assistant accountant uh you, you know um you design your own dress you've got to come up with your own outfits you know this this waistcoat i'm wearing is part of a three-piece uh ensemble i suppose is the right word that i put together to try and be unique because most magicians have that well magician look and as as caroline put in the header if you remember is that the the one thing every magician has to overcome is the preconceptions we all hold about every magician we've seen before and one thing that's always rung through for me is i don't want to end up like that decrepit 65 year old magician that we've all seen at their party where we kind of cringe and die a little inside because we know they should really not be performing anymore. And uh, the, it, I think to a lot of magicians, and, and, let me rephrase. Uh, if you know Penn and Teller, two of the probably the most famous magicians in the world right now, uh, Teller is very rightfully says that the reason magic often has magicians like this is because magic is the only art form where you can go to a magic shop buy a prop, walk outside with it and perform it seconds later. So you don't have to put in the time and skill required to develop the art form to actually be able to present it. So you can just you can just buy a thing and then go, look, it does, does the magic. So for example, um, on the flip side of that, you can buy props. So this is a little prop that I own. It's a rather silly prop. It's a four sided card. Now, I don't mean four sizes and four sides, four, four edges. I mean, four sides. So it's got one dot on this side, it's got four dots on this side, it's got three dots on this side, and it's got six dots on that side, right? So I'll run through again. So you've got one dot there, four dots there, three dots there, and six dots there. Now, some of you have probably, probably able to twig exactly what I'm up to, because of course, being a magician, I'm cheating. And by covering up the extra dots, I make it seem like there's one more or one less, because our brain has this tendency to sort of fill in the blanks as in how we see fit. Now. The problem is, of course, that there really are six dots on the other side, which can make things a little more confusing, especially when you realize there are actually three dots on the other side. And just to make it worse, there are actually eight dots on the other side. So I've really got no idea how that works. So it's worth that. This is the thing, as you learn as a magician, is that you do have to do all of these things yourself and you have to bring them all together and to try and, and, and to, you know, you are it's very much actually more entrepreneurial than people. I think people realize. There's a lot of business stuff that goes inside of it, you know, creating invoices was something I never knew I had to do, but accounting was something I never thought I'd have to do. But as you as you grow as a performer, you do have to keep all of this together because you have to start doing your own taxes. You have to keep track of what you're spending and you know make sure that you're you're juggling all of these balls in the air at the right time. And so, as I, I you know, I'm lucky enough that I had an agent and a manager sort of helped manage most of it for me. But once I came back to the UK, I was very much doing it on my own, which was a great learning curve. And uh, I had reached a pretty good point when the pandemic hit last year was uh, I was around that time. I'd started to receive a bit of interest from people asking if they could start learning magic. 
which was fantastically timed because obviously given the fact that I couldn't go to events and perform anymore, it made a lot of sense for me to start teaching uh, in this sort of format, which is what I've been doing primarily. And, and I've had great success. You know, the, the last year has, for better or worse, has been one of the most, actually the most successful year I've had as a magician. Um, the number of students I've had and the amount of performances I've been able to do through this and it has been wonderful, you know, and I've had to learn how to do new magic effects because normally when you're doing them, I, I, like I say, I'm a close up magician. So normally I'd go up to people and say, here's a deck of cards, pick a card, let's let's try something or, you know, and then we get to do stuff in the hands and not being able to do that and not even being able to interact means that there's a huge limitation on what can and can't be done. But it, it's been a wonderful, like I say, wonderful learning curve because it's forced me to sort of look at new things. So. I've, you know, we've, I've had to grab tricks like this, which is not something I'd normally do because you can't carry that around in, when you're performing at a restaurant, because of course it's not, it doesn't really work to then go to another table and do it again when they said, yeah, I saw you do that over there, you know, so what? So this, it provides different things. And then the, I think also because people are so bored of pub quizzes and sort of rather droll uh, Zoom activities, uh, magic has been a great one and I've been able to perform to people all over the world now in which I have been able to before but obviously there was a lot more travel involved um, as Caroline mentioned I, I've been lucky enough to go and perform in Udaipur to the royal family at, I think it was the 40th coronation or anniversary I can't remember the event which is shocking I probably should have looked that up apologies and um, it, it was a fascinating experience because you know, you're performing magic to these people and you've got people who come up and and it's a very normal practice is sort of the I'm not not going to get the, because they've got the caste system and I'm not going to get the words right but the people from the sort of I don't want to say the common folk it sounds so wrong it's not definitely not what I mean but the, the, the sort of the normal people again I'm not really sure uh, they would come and kiss the feet of the people I'm performing magic to which is a very bizarre experience to be a part of but that, that was how they live their lives, because to these people, the, the differences um, in the levels of society is so massive that that's that's how they show respect. And it's very strange to have someone picking a card while they're having their feet kissed by a long line of people. But a brilliant experience all the same. And uh, so, yeah, so then doing the online magic and teaching online and performing online has been very much the, the my full time uh, sort of commitment for the last year and a half. And that's why I've got the green screen, the fancy lights and the additional um sort of camera setup which makes it much easier to do all of that and um you know and it's but that's yes sorry <laughs> just to catch my breath there and so so that's where i'm at now and now moving forward as a magician i as i mentioned i don't want to become that 65 year old magician who's you know realized that a little too late in life that they need to consider other options so I'm, I'm currently looking at doing things like I'd, I'd quite like personally what I'm hoping to do is set up a magic school um, hopefully in the UK if not somewhere else because I think it's a very massively missed opportunity I think the, the way magic is taught is not done well we, I'm sure some of you will have seen a magic trick and just typed into YouTube how is it done and you can go and find it quite easily which is a shame but that's the way it is and then and the thing is though is that knowing the secret is only half of the half the battle because just because you know how to do it doesn't mean you can do it you know we all know how a guitar player plays the guitar doesn't mean we can pick up and do one and so as a magician not only do you have to learn the secret you've then got to learn how to integrate it and how to have a character that performs it because you know otherwise you fall into that stereotype of just being another magician another guy who does a trick in fact one of the lines i hear um in a scary amount of times um and this isn't a trick this is just a quick demonstration 
is as a magician, you'll pull out a deck of cards and you'll say, pick a card. And someone goes, oh, I've seen this one. How can you possibly have seen this one? I haven't done anything yet. But that's how people's minds work. It's because it's so generic and it's so much of many magicians um, rely on just the magic to be their character rather than being larger than life and having, you know, whether it's an outfit that says who they are or something like that. And I don't know if you guys know magicians like David Blaine, but David Blaine in particular was known as it was a very serious magician who sort of like watch, watch. And then he'd, he'd do things like he'd mind, he'd read people's minds or he'd bend things or, you know, well, not bend things like a piece of paper, but he'd like make a piece of metal bend or he'd sticks up a sharp a needle through his arm without it bleeding. He did incredible effects. And he was actually the first magician to make close up magic um, or introduce street magic, the idea of performing in an environment that wasn't completely in the magician's control. Um, well worth looking into some of the effects he, he'd performed. And um, so this is the thing of, you know, uh, it's why I, I want to teach magic and it's why very much the focus of what I'm doing is teaching magic. But uh, along with that, I'm also looking at doing other things. So whether it's merchandising or monetizing my website, uh, one project I'm particularly excited about is uh, this deck of cards. The cameras can see those. So these have been designed by my brother, who's um, who also went to Radley. Uh, he left in, well, uh, actually, I think he left in 2003 as well, but he was two years younger. Um, and he's actually hand-drawn um, all of these playing cards. Um, and they're based on gods and different cultures throughout history, um, which we've, we've just sort of designed together and, I think the the first these these are just a prototype, but the real ones will be arriving later this year, and we'll, um, we're so very very much excited. So it's definitely a much bigger project than we thought when we took it on, but this is the sort of avenue that we're hoping to go from, rather than relying purely on the performance. I think you know I I know I keep referring to the sixty five year old magician, but I think many any entertainment sector there's always the risk that the performer will become uh, a little outdated, and um, I'm tr hopefully going to avoid that. Uh, I think that about wraps up. <laughs> I think I've gone talked a lot longer than I was expecting, but hopefully that's that's a, an overview of what my career has currently been like and where it's headed. So that's great. Thank you so much, Max. That's my uh, you've, um, you've been talking about magicians and the one um, you know you've referred to quite a few. Do you have one that you particularly admire and um, try and emulate, or are you you know very much plowing your own path? Uh, I mean, there's, there's an aspect of trying to for, forge my own path, but there are, I'm like I say, I'm lucky enough to keep have a lot of magician friends. And the thing is, you realise that you can take one of their secrets, but it doesn't mean you can, you know, you can't necessarily perform their trick because it doesn't work because of how you carry yourself. Um, but the magician I probably hold in the highest regard is, is a magician called Faye Presto. And she's 71 and still performing magic. And she she was actually the first ever transgender magician who and she did not have a good time of it because uh, she, she, like I say she's 71 and she I think it was around when she was 30 she started trying to, to switch and of course that was well before it was acceptable and um, but if you ever get a chance to watch her perform she performs in London at a restaurant called Langan's quite regularly or The Ned um, she's got one or two YouTube videos and she, it, I don't think it conveys quite what she can do properly it, the way she manages an audience, the way she can perform an effect right in front of you and you will not catch her doing it is, un, is, is absurd. Uh, the trick that made her famous is taking a wine bottle or a champagne bottle and pushing it through the table uh, right in front of you. And I, I've seen her do it hundreds of times now. And I, I, every time I'm still flabbergasted just because she makes it seem so easy and it does look like that's exactly what's happening. 
Um, just on that, actually, everybody who has any further questions, I'll keep going. Otherwise, um, please do stick them on the chat. Can I, can I just jump in with a verbal question? Yeah, of course. Than... Go for it. Yeah, Max. Sorry, Max. You knew, you knew that was coming. Max, yeah. so, um, it's clearly quite a cutthroat business, to, you know, death threats and <laughs> so forth. And you've obviously survived. And, and but also, more importantly, I think, obviously, those kind of experiences over the last decade would certainly have kind of make you look at life slightly different, even though you're at the tentative age of 31. My question is, I mean, what kind of life lessons have you learned at this point in your life from those kind of the, the rough and tumble of the magic world? You know, the, what, what would you say were the kind of top two life lessons for, for reflecting back on that decade? Um, very good question. Um, so I mean, the first one is um, something I've talked about before, but probably not today actually, is, the, is learning that, because whenever you're a performer, you have to learn that whether or not someone likes your performance has nothing to do with you. And that is a very tough lesson to learn. You know, that, 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 those two hours when I was walking up to people in the streets and saying, would you like to watch Season Magic and being told no and being sweared at and just being asked to, to go away you realize you know it, that's because they're in a rush or they're having a bad day or they don't have time for it and that's so that was the one thing is realizing you know it's that rather stoic mentality of you you can't or you can't control whether or not the world smiles at you but you can control whether or not you smile at it and that that's something that's, that i've carried through and you know i've done performances that have not gone too well and others that have gone fabulously and you realize that how they affect you is up to you and no one else so that that would be the the first major life lesson that i've learned I think which sort of impacts the other one as well is that other people can react however they want. And if you let it get to you, it's up to you. Um, I think the other big life lesson is uh, is probably that I've learned is, is that it, no one's going to come and do it for you. If you want to succeed, you're, you're going to have to pick, you know, not pick yourself up by your bootstraps. I don't like that expression because, of course, it was made to joke about the fact that that's what people expect you to do and you can't do it because it's not possible. But I think there is an aspect of if you want to, you know, if you want something, you're going to have to go and get it. And it's something that I, you definitely learn after you leave Radley is that, uh, and not, not because this is Radley's fault, by the way, you should make sure I'm not bashing Radley. But when you, when you leave Radley, you don't realise how much of a support system you have and how valuable it is having teachers push you every day that, to make you do your homework and go and get your meals. Because once you leave Radley and you're university, you yes you you can eat a bowl of ice cream and play video games until two in the morning but the problem is you can eat ice cream and play video games till two in the morning every day if you want and all that's going to happen is you're going to waste away and no one's going to tell you off and so you have to be able to do that yourself you have to be able to turn and go hang on this is not what i should be doing i need to do better and and that's tough but it's it's definitely a val it's the, it's the most important battle you'll ever fight and it's definitely one worth winning Thank, thank you very much, Max. I mean, you talked earlier about the, the magic circle. What is the magical network like? Um, is it quite competitive or quite close knit? Um, you know, what is it like building a network? It's, it's both. I'd say, I'd say it's both. It's both a close knit network and it's, it's also slightly cutthroat. Um, I think like all entertainment is cutthroat because, of course, you know, we don't like to admit that there some, might be someone who's better than us because you know, some, uh, you know, every actor is you know, terrified that another actor is better. Every magician is terrified that another magician is better. And so as a result, you know, egos can be very fragile and easily hurt. But at the same time, I'm very lucky, like I say, being part of the magic circle, there's a there's a lot more of a community there because we're all kind of in it together and you do there's a bit more camaraderie. But there, that's not to say that there, there aren't issues of politics like with any organization or any group. So it's I think as well, like I say, like there are magicians I get on with really, really well and magicians who I could not disagree with more if I tried. 
and that's but that's that's the whole wonder of the the field is that you know you you go and find those your your tribe i think is the expression people often say you go and find the people that you get on with and you resonate with and you work with them and you you do great things together and you just try not to worry too much about what the people uh, who aren't in your sort of spectrum as it were are doing because that's them and, and this is you thank you i've got a couple more questions coming through on the chat here a uh, question from Ed, would you ever consider going into design in the puzzle business? I don't know if that's one of the things that you've been looking at. I wonder if that's because uh, Ed has anything to do with Chris Ramsey. He's a rather successful YouTube magician who does puzzles as a large part of what he does. Uh, I love I love a good puzzle. I love riddles, all that sort of thing. And when I was at Radley, I loved the design and technology departments. It's one of the subjects I got an A in for A-level and A-star for GCSE, I believe, because I'm such a smarty fans. And I would, I, I, I do like the idea of doing that. And it's definitely something I would look into. It's, it's so far outside of my realm of expertise at the moment that it's probably not something I'd be able to do anytime soon. But it's, I think it's something that fits in with the category, the sort of the, the genre nicely and definitely something I, I will be looking into in the future. Great, thank you. Now, you've talked a lot about your art and the things that you have to do to really make hone your performance. But what do you think that you have to do to become a really successful magician in the industry? Is there a bit of luck? I'm sure there is. But, you know, what in terms of your art and honing it, what do you have to do? Well, I mean, well, firstly, I'll firstly address the luck thing, because I think luck is something that we all kind of assume. Oh, it's like, yeah, he got lucky and I did get lucky. But there's always an expression that I'm, I'm going to butcher, but it's all about how, you know, 90% of luck is doing the work. And it's that thing of if you're not, you know, if you're not trying to do magic, if you're not trying to be a performer, you're not going to get lucky and get the, the lucky break that you, you're after. Um, but to be a, a spectacular performer um, or a successful performer, I think it's about it, it's about sort of realizing, you know, I think the advice I got was that realizing you're in the magic business. So half of it is magic and half of it is business. And if you only worry about the magic, you can end up being a great magician, but you'll you'll you know you'll sort of fail and you'll peter out. And if you worry too much about the business side, then you'll become a corporate sellout and no one will be that interested in you. So it's about finding a balancing act between the two. Uh, and it's also, I think, a, a large part is finding you know that your unique selling point, your USP, and and finding a way to stand out from the crowd because there are a lot of just magicians. And there's a reason why when you say pick a card, people go, oh yeah, I've seen this one because they have in their mind, it's the same trick because there's nothing unique about it. There's nothing to separate it from what everyone else has done. And that's a big part of it. And it's, I think it's, I think there's also like, you have to enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it, then you're in it for the wrong game. Because I think like any performing or entertainment industry, if, if you don't have that passion, that, that enjoyment of actually doing it on a regular basis and being able to wake up in the morning and go, yes, I get to do this today. You're going to end up kind of, resenting it and 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 you'll you'll burn out and you won't have what it takes to take it further and because I, I did get lucky I, I had a lot of lucky breaks and met the right person at the right time which opened the door but if you also you also need that that, that sort of thing of going you know, so for example when I took the job at the the restaurant the first one I took and I said yes and quit my other job there's that great idea of burn your boats if you if you want something and you get given the opportunity I think the mistake some people make is they worry that um oh I'm not ready yet and the best thing you can do is say yes now and be ready when it comes. You know, don't don't worry about having all your ducks in order because you'll never have all your ducks in order. I think the 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 first day I performed at that restaurant, I bought one of the tricks I performed that night that day because I hadn't been able to get it any sooner. And I was learning it on the way to the restaurant to put me like, OK, so this is how it works and this is what I do. 
Um, and, I, and I kind of fuddled through and it wasn't a perfect performance, but it was a, I, I got my foot in the door and I'd done it. And then I was ready to do the next one and I improved then. You know, and it's that thing of whenever I learn a trick now, I'll, I'll do what it takes to learn the effect and get the hang of it. And then I'll, I'll practice and learn it by performing it because that's, you know, it's a trial by fire and you've just got to make the commitment. Thank you. That was really good advice there. Got a, a, a question here from uh, Matthew. Have you ever had a trick, a trick go completely wrong? Yes. And I was terrified <laughs> this question might come up. Uh, I make mistakes all the time. Uh, I've had some shocking uh, performances where, you know, uh, I've done things where the, the, I've found the wrong card or uh, a prop has broken halfway through. And it's obviously absolutely devastating. And all you can do is carry on. You know, the show must go on. No, you don't get a choice in the matter. So you just, just got to do what you can. Um, the worst perform, I mean, I've probably, yeah, I'll tell it. The worst thing I've had go wrong when performing, uh, I was doing the trick I mentioned before, Spiked. I did that uh, back to back for two years without that ever going wrong. Uh, one, one particular night, it, it did go wrong. Uh, I think it was the th third or fourth night in a row of performing and I I pushed the, the audience member's hand down and I felt resistance when I shouldn't have felt resistance. Now, luckily, I was I was able to kind of twig pretty quickly. That shouldn't have happened. So I crushed the other one very quickly and went, ta-da, they're fine. But I did cut the, the audience member's hand. Um, and, you know, so I, I went and met her straight up. As soon as the act was over, we wrapped it up. I went outside. We had, I chatted to her and I was super apologetic. Got her into a taxi so she'd go to hospital, make sure she was fine. I mean, it was it was the most pathetically tiny cut. But of course, you've always got to be super careful about this. Um, and then I, I thought she thought just I, what I did find quite funny is I thought this story would be forever behind me and just something I could occasionally refer to until my friend Jackson Aces sent me a video of that girl being on a quiz show where her interesting fact was that she was in a, sh in a magician's show which went wrong. Uh, and so that story was publicized to the entire world. Oh no, oh, ah, yeah. well, yes, you can't control it, can you? I should specify, I don't do that trick anymore. I, I've, I've stopped all, I, I, I stick to the, the less dangerous stuff now so that, so that everyone can rest easy. <laughs> yeah, sounds pretty gruesome. Another question for you here. Once venues open up again, is there any way you'd really like to perform? And is there a trick that you would like to do that you haven't done yet? Uh, there's a venue around the corner from me that I've been desperately trying to get into to perform uh, because it's uh, it's a place called The Prince, not far from me. I live in Fulham in London. Uh, it's a venue which is it's got a nice it's got a great young crowd, but it's also like I, I'm not a fan of nightclub magic because it's usually too dark and too loud. And trying to get someone to pick a card is, is pointless. You know, like, like you have to yell at people. It's no fun at all. Uh, this particular venue is kind of a nice mix. It's got five different restaurant bars that all kind of feed into the one sort of outdoor area. Uh, so it's got a great atmosphere. It's, it's not too loud to perform. You know, it's not outdoors, so there's no smoking and it's still covered. So it's, it's available in the rain. And it's it's just I've been there and always had a great time. And I've always thought this would be a great place to perform magic, particularly to meet people, meet people, meet potential clients, that sort of thing. And also just to try tricks out. So getting a residency is always a big deal for a magician because having that repeat that regular income and also just having a place where you can test things out before doing a proper corporate high paid job. And in answer, if there's a, there's a trick I would particularly perform, um, uh, well, behind the, the green screen here, there I have a bookshelf that is full of tricks that I still am, am desperately trying to learn. 
and to fit into the routine. The problem is, is with every effect that you see and you go, oh, I've got to get that one and I've got to work it into my routine. Often what happens is you buy it, discover how it's done and realize that it's just never going to work in the way that you're hoping it's going to work. But if there was one in particular, there's... Um, there's, pro there's one in particular I'd love to be able to do or work about, and it's one I've been trying to do for ages. And it's it's why I've, I think this 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 particular uh, outfit or unit, yeah, outfit is the third custom built suit I've had made, and all of them have had this trick designed with them without giving the secret away. And I've yet to ever be able to perform it. And basically, the effect is one where you borrow a ring, you make it disappear, and then it appears tied to your shoelace uh, a moment later. And um, it's an absolutely stunning effect. And it's one I've never quite got got to work the way I hope, because I think it's one that works on, on stage, but also um, for an audience when doing close up magic. No idea how you would do that. Um, so I'm uh, uh, leading on from that. What is the favorite trick that you like to perform? Um, aside from that, so there's one trick in particular. I can't perform it here because you, you require audience members hands. But I, I can give a sort of a semi demonstration of, of the sort of thing that would happen. Um, if I, I'll switch to my other camera and I, I can show you sort of the lead up to it. Um, so, uh, and, and so, so normally we'd have someone pick a card. I'm just going to grab one out because um, obviously this, it's a bit difficult to have someone pick a card. So in this case, the card's going to be the Ace of Diamonds. Uh, and what we would do is I would take the, the Ace of Diamonds and I'll, um, I'll drop it into the pack so you can see it's going into the middle. And then I'll give the pack a bit of a shuffle. And what I would do is you talk about the fact that I train the cards. So if I snap my fingers, you see one card jumps to the top, saves me a lot of trouble. And in fact, if I was to take that card, I'll push it in about oh, halfway down. So it could be anywhere in the pack. That way we know for a fact it's not on the top. Uh, it's also not on the bottom. Uh, see, it's only when we snap our fingers, that's when the card jumps back to the top. Uh, just to make sure I'm not cheating, I'll drop it in about halfway down again so you can see when it really does jump up to the top just like that. And uh, this is about where the trick, this was where, at this point, the trick would usually move to, uh, well, one last phase, as it's called, because magicians, we always have names for everything. So the phase here, last phase here, is so we put the trick, the card in about there, and then we put all of that in there, snap our fingers, and of course, it still jumps back to the top, just like so. Um, and to finish off, what would happen is, well, normally you'd have a bunch of people put, put their hands in the middle, and you would uh, you bend the card so they can see where it sits. So if you push it in about halfway down, like so, you can close up the pack, snap your fingers, and it still jumps to the top. Uh, and the follow-up to this would you then have someone uh, take the entire deck of cards, uh, place it in their hands, snap your fingers again to remove this this card one more time, and then oh, sorry, I didn't mean to turn my video off. Uh, then you would say you'd say, well, now that I've got your card, I'll snap my fingers again. But your card can't jump to the top, so you all what happens is the entire deck disappears. They open their hands and the entire deck has turned into a, a perspex block. And this is, um, I've, I, it's, it's one trick I've been doing for years now. And it's, it's one that just always floors the audience, particularly those who think they've got me or are, are going to catch me in the act. And it's also been a slight sort of certain degree of pride because I've had um, other magicians watch me perform it. And they've talk, called me arrogant for thinking I can get away with it. And then being amazed that I get away with it because what I, what I do to pull off the effect is is quite sneaky and and it's not it's not of my own invention, but the way I do it is a way that a lot of magicians would not feel comfortable or safe performing it, just because it's very likely to get caught. But this is one of those things, sort of to loop back around, that I've always loved about magic, 
is the reason I love the live performances is how you get to play with people's perception and awareness. And um, the best analogy I've ever found for it, when you're performing and you're really, and you happen to have one of those performances where you're really at the top of your game, you, people's attention, you, you can almost visualize where their attention is and you can pass it and move it around. And when you're moving it and you kind of, and you can expect where they are, where their attention is going to go, you can get away with absolute murder in the, in what, what I would consider the dark areas, the, the areas they're not looking. And, and you know, so and misdirection in itself is, is, you know, I could talk about it for hours and I'll try, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, but that, that gives you some idea of the kind of magic I love when you get to play with that sort of realm of things. Thanks, Max, that was really cool. Uh, leading on from that, have you actually made any of your own tricks? And so this, so most of the time, like, yes and no. And the reason I say that is not because I haven't made any of my own tricks or I have really, but with magic, for the most part, every single magic secret has already been invented. It's, it's nigh on impossible to come up with new ones. But so what magicians do is kind of like when you're learning the guitar, and I, I always use this analogy because I think it's the most apt, is it's like learning uh, a cover of someone's song. You start by learning the cover because it gives you sort of a, 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 a performance to follow. And then you, once you learn how to hit the notes regularly and you kind of get the rhythm down, then you start performing it over and over again. And what happens is you slowly start changing things. And you go, oh, actually, I'm going to move this note here. I'm going to remove this one, add this one in. I'm going to change this line. I'm going to do this instead. Or I'm going to add this entire other song onto it so it becomes a much longer song. And what happens is over time, it morphs into your own effect. And and so as a result, it's not it's not so much that I've invented my own effects, but the routines I perform are very much my own in terms of you you couldn't buy them out of a, a box. You could you can buy the props and watch my performance and then repeat it. But I haven't gone out and gone, you know, OK, this is the Rendell move and this is the Maximilian trick and that sort of thing. Thank you. Um, final question from me, unless anyone wants to put anything else on the chat. But um, just going back to your time at Radley, do you think actually, with the benefit of hindsight, that um, some of the things that you learned at Radley and um, are actually helping you in your career today? Uh, I think I think it's the I think the main thing is I uh, I think yes, absolutely. I think for the main part, like I said earlier, it's I underestimated how valuable my time at Radley was. And I always found it funny, particularly, and it always makes me think of design and technology because uh, the teacher, I don't know if it's still there, was Mr. M Mr. Matthews. Yes. Uh, and he always used to remind us that like, when you leave Radley, you will not, you will only then will you appreciate the resources you have available. And he was absolutely right. Because I went into engineering and we got to do, to look at, I was like, oh, university, we're going to do, have an amazing workshop. And Radley's was so much better. I was devastated. It was so like, you know, he had all of these, it was, it was un uh, unparalleled. And I think um, the, the, the organization of the day to day and having the structure um, at Radley and, and doing it the way it was done, where it was, because uh, obviously you've got the eight day week done over six days, which I, funny enough, kind of that versatility and that sort of reliance on having like being able to kind of go, oh, it's Tuesday. But what does that actually mean? Like, is it day two, four or six or eight? And that kind of thing, I think, whether whether it was meant to or not, actually made it really easy when it was at university to kind of just handle anything that got thrown my way. Um, other than that, I think generally just like the teachers and the support system, I, like I say, I remember, I think I can't remember my English teacher at the time, uh, noticed that I couldn't do, uh, I think, oh, contractions properly. Uh, which one, and, I, and she took me aside and I had to go and do a one-on-one -on -one tutoring session where she made sure that I understood exactly what, what they are and how to use them and to stop doing it wrong. And, you know, at the time, of course, I was going, oh, I don't want to know this. But it was, it was incredibly useful down the line because now it's something I can't get wrong. 
And um, so, yeah, it's I, I, I wouldn't change my time at Radley for anything. Oh, brilliant. Thanks, Matt. So that, that was thank you so much for that. It was not only interesting, fascinating to hear about your life, but also highly entertaining. So thank you, thank you very, very much for talking to us today. Now, um, just a final reminder that you can watch any talks you might have missed um, in the Beyond Radley Careers area of Radley video. And all that remains to say is thank you for attending and I hope you all have a lovely half-term break when it finally comes. Thank you and thank you to Max. Thank you for joining us. Check our channels for the latest news and events from the Radley and Society.